Darling one, you were born from the sweetest love, cast from the fires of creation, burning bright into the making of your perfect constellations. Head high, my love, never let them diminish you. Stand tall in the power of your love. Break open to the thousands come before you, written in your heart with holy blood. Keep going, my love. Hold tight to the scripture of your inheritance, your dreams born from ancient stone. Weave your magic star of wisdom, breathing life into hollow bones. Courage, my love. Place pain upon your sacred altars. Grow seeds where life has become hopeless. Lend hands to those who fall and falter. Let love be life's greatest opus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, beautiful souls. My name is Tara Wild, and I'm the creator of the Dreaming the Ancestors podcast series and community, where we talk about remembering and reclaiming ancestral stories, feminine wisdom, and earth magic. And today I'm so excited to introduce you all to Kathy Jones, who is the founder of the Glastonbury Goddess Temple. And this is the third episode of the second series of Dreaming the Ancestors, where we're really focusing on uplifting the voices of native Celtic wisdom keepers. And we are streaming here live on Facebook and YouTube. A very big welcome to everyone who's here live. I'm seeing some of you here in the chat. Please feel free to say hello if you're here live and let us know where you're calling in from. And just a reminder as well that you have the wonderful opportunity to ask Kathy your questions. So if you have any questions, please feel free to put them in the chat and uh, I'll be sure to bring uh, some of those forward at the end of the call. So I'm going to go ahead and read Kathy's official bio. Kathy Jones is a priestess of Avalon, priestess of goddess, founder, creative director, and temple weaver of Glastonbury Goddess Temple, Goddess Hall, and Goddess House. She is the founder of Glastonbury Goddess Conference and Mother World Initiator. She has lived on the Isle of Avalon in Glastonbury for 40 years and loves this sacred land of goddess. She is a ceremonialist, teacher, writer, wounded healer, initiator, temple Melissa, and sacred dramatist. She is the author of several acclaimed goddess books, Remembering the Nine Morgans, Priestess of Avalon, Priestess of Goddess, Soul and Shadow, Birthing Mother World, The Ancient British Goddess, In the Nature of Avalon, and more. And Kathy, I know you also have a new book coming out, which uh, I will invite you to speak about at the end as well. And Kathy offers, with other dedicated priestesses, a three-spiral training to become a priestess or priest of Avalon and other goddess and soul healing trainings. So, wow, thank you, Kathy. So wonderful to have you here. And I've been receiving messages over the past week of people excited for this conversation. I'd like to take this moment for us to close our eyes and imagine that we're having this conversation in the flesh, heart to heart. 
and we're sitting around a great fire. Imagining us gathering from our many different corners of the globe around this fire, sitting upon the earth and sharing wisdom, sharing stories like our ancestors have done since time immemorial. And of course, today we are here to bring forward the wisdom of the goddess. And so I want to take this moment here to invite the goddess and invite our ancestors into this space. For all of you who are listening, invite into the sacred space that we're creating together around the fire, your ancestors of blood and bone, your wise and well ancestors, and also the many different faces of the goddess. Perhaps there are particular goddesses that you have an affinity for, that you are dedicated to. And I invite you just to speak those names aloud now. And I'd like to take this moment here to call in my beloved goddess guides who are Bridget, Danu, and Kalyak. Welcome, welcome. And I also welcome my ancestors of blood and bone, my ancestors of the British Isles. I have many, many ancestors from England and I have lived on those lands for 15 years of my life and feel a deep affinity for the Isle of Avalon, Glastonbury. And finally, I would also like to honor the ancestors of the lands that I stand upon, these ancestral lands of the Ute and Arapaho people, honoring them deeply and my place here upon the earth in the mountains of what is now called Colorado. And Kathy, I'd like to pass over to you now to call in your, your guides, the goddess, ancestors, into our sacred space. I call to the ancestors of my sacred land. And I call to the ancestors here in Glastonbury which is the outer world counterpart to the other world of the Isle of Avalon. I call to Madron, who is mother of the lineage of Avalon. I call to the lady of Avalon, she who is goddess in this sacred land, she whose body is the land, is the earth here, she who has been here since the beginning. I ask that you come and be present here, beloved lady, with us this evening. Blessed be. Hmm. Blessed be. Ah, oh, taking a few deep breaths together. I'm just feeling the presence of the goddess in her many faces and forms here in our circle, feeling our connection to each other and to the ancestors. And when you're ready, you can gently, gently open your eyes. So the title of this episode 
is Reclaiming the Wisdom of the Goddess. And I would like to begin by reading a quote from one of my favorite books, which is called Circle of Stones by Judith Dirk. How might your life have been different if there had been a place for you, a place of women to help you learn the ways of women, a place where you were nurtured from an ancient flow, sustaining you and steadying you as you sought to become yourself a place of women to help you find and trust the ancient flow already there within yourself, waiting to be released. A place of women, how might your life be different? I still remember the first time I read this so many years ago and tears immediately came to my eyes as I felt a deep sense of loss and longing inside of me. Uh, you know, somewhere within me, I remembered what it was like to have a place to honor the wisdom of the goddess, a place of women where many generations gathered to feel that ancient flow of wisdom. And I feel like I have had this longing for this place my whole life. And I've deeply grieved the absence of the goddess in our modern lives. And perhaps some of you listening here can relate to what I'm sharing and it's such an honor to have Kathy here with us today because she's actually created a space in the modern world, a physical space to reclaim the wisdom of the goddess. And this very special place is called the Goddess Temple in Glastonbury. And there's also uh, the Goddess House, the Goddess Hall. And I just really feel the power of this. And I've been to the Goddess Temple a number of times and the energy there is palpable. I have prayed and cried there and felt such a deep sense of remembrance at having this kind of space dedicated to goddess. And for anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with Glastonbury, Isle of Avalon, it's a small rural town in the southwest of England. And it's thought that this place has been inhabited since Neolithic times. And it's been a sacred place to many over the millennia. There are lots of different myths connected to Glastonbury, including myths about the Nine Morgans, the Nine Sisters of Avalon, as well as King Arthur, Guinevere, and the Holy Grail, and also stories of Joseph of Arimathea. These are just some of the, the myths that have come forward from these lands. And today, Glastonbury is a place where the sacred feminine is deeply honored and the creation of Britain's first very first goddess temple is here thanks to Kathy's dedication to the goddess in these sacred lands. And the Glastonbury Goddess Temple is a registered UK charity, an organization dedicated and devoted to bringing goddess alive in the world in the 21st century through the empowerment of women and men as spiritual thinkers, leaders, and vision holders. So Kathy, I would love to pass over to you now and hear just a little bit about your own personal journey. You know, when did you first fall in love with Glastonbury and what inspired you to create the Goddess Temple? Okay, uh, before that, I, I just wanna say how that, um, the quote that you had from the Circle of Stones, it had a very profound effect upon me uh, too, because when I first read it, I realized that, you know, I'm, I am an older woman and, and how different my life would have been if as when I was young, when I was a teenager, when I was a young woman, if there had been any space for women 
together and to support each other and hold each other, how different my life would have been. So I really resonate with that kind of quote. And part of my kind of life dedication is to creating the spaces in which women, girls and women can gather and know each other and be supported by each other. It's really important to me, just so you know. Um, yeah, it made me cry too when I read that. So uh, what I've realized in the last years uh, really is that when I was young, there was no mention of goddess. Goddess was not a word that was ever spoken or ever mentioned. Everything was uh, in Britain at that time was about Christianity, about he, him, and his, and she, and her, and hers was never mentioned. We were never taught anything about goddess. We were never taught. Uh, occasionally you might read a story, but it was all a story. It wasn't real. So it was only uh, much later that I realized that actually all through my life, Goddess had been guiding me from the very beginning that I had incarnated, that I have incarnated again to be a priestess in the world. That is my Dharma. That's my life purpose is, is to help bring Goddess alive in the world again, because we have forgotten her. We've forgotten who she is. We've forgotten, we've forgotten everything. So it's really important that we begin to remember her because of course she is the earth, she is the sun, she is the moon, she is the stars, she is the source of everything. Um, yes, so we need to remember her and especially in these times when everything is falling apart. So I first came to Glastonbury when I was in my uh, late 20s, I think it was, uh, I came with some friends to do some meditations. At that time, they were full moon meditations, but again, they were in a very masculine kind of mode. But we would do these full med moon meditations. Every full moon, I would drive from Wales, where I was living, to come to Glastonbury to do these meditations. And then one time, Waysak, which is the Beltane full moon, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw myself going beneath the tall uh, and beneath the land in the dream. I met these very strange creatures who made me laugh. And I thought, okay, you've got me. I'll move here. It looks like fun, so I'll move here. So, <laughs> so I moved to Glastonbury. Um, and it, well, I had been living in Wales and I had been on a, uh, a spiritual quest I had spent many hours every day meditating, hours and hours for weeks, months, years. Right? And I moved here and then I immediately fell in love with an unsuitable man, as we do as women. Yeah? But I found that none of the spiritual practices that I had been living with for the previous five or six years, none of them helped me when it came to the heartbreak I felt. So I decided that I would give up all the belief systems I had. I would give everything up and see what happened if I didn't have the support of all the things that I already knew. And 
just to leave a space, a gap. And then into that gap, it was the 1970s, the late, it was the late 1970s in Britain. And we began to hold uh, women's circles. And we met, a group of us met every two weeks uh, to talk about what was then called the seven demands of the women's liberation movement. Yay. Yeah. And we had this amazing time together. We exploring how it was for us to be women in the world and also to share all the challenges, everything that made it difficult. But our feminist consciousness developed. Out of that, we went to Common, which was a place that was bringing nuclear cruise missiles into Britain. And there were big women's camps, peace camps at this airbase and big demonstrations, uh, women's demonstrations. And I would go there and I'd go there with friends and some of my friends had had gone to live there in the mud to protest. And I can remember things like one evening standing in the mud outside of these metal fences, you know, and it was dusk and we had candles uh, on the outside and on the inside were layers of barbed wire, men with guns, soldiers, policemen, the kind of all the forces of patriarchy were on the inside. And we, the women, calling for life, were on the outside. And I remember singing then a song which is called You Can't Kill the Spirit. She is like a mountain, old and strong. She goes on and on and on. And for me, that was the first time that I had sung of the spirit as she. And it was a turning point in my life because up until then, it had been okay to kind of say Mother Earth was she. But spirit was always he, you know, and to sing of the spirit as she changed everything for me. Goddess entered my life then. And I began to explore who she was through her myths and legends from many different cultures. I began to write sacred dramas that were a reworking of ancient myths to bring the goddess to the forefront. And so that's the kind of way everything went. And every year we would create two or three sacred dramas that would be performed by groups of up to 50, kind of 50 people, musicians, artists, performers, all in celebration of goddess. And through that time, I learned lots about goddess and who she is in different cultures and different lands and then in my own land. Because when I started, it was like, well, we didn't have goddesses in Britain. We're a Christian country. We don't have any goddesses. But of course, within a few days of starting to look for her, I found her and I found like 400 names for her that were all there. And they were there in the stories. They were there in the names of her landscapes. They were there in the names of hills and mountains and lakes and rivers. And then at some point, maybe in, in the middle of the 1990s, I wanted to create a goddess event, which would be a gathering of artists, musicians, writers, poets, dramatists, dancers, to bring us all together because there was nothing like that in Britain. There, was no, there were no goddess events. We did that and we had the first goddess conference in 1996. And then it has continued since that every year at Lammas. It's held every year. 
And it's it's been an extraordinary journey with the Goddess Conference. Amazing, amazing things have happened. Amazing ceremonies, amazing artists, you know, beauty, uh, extraordinary things have happened. And at that time, we were meeting kind of once a year at Lamas. And we began to say, well, actually, we want to meet more than once a year. We want to meet, you know, quite often. Can't we meet more often? What was also happening is that me and my partner, Mike, who uh, who's my husband, we went to many sacred sites across the world. We went on holiday to these places and we visited like hundreds of sacred sites in lots of different countries. The hardest thing for me was that in nearly every place, the temples to the goddess were in ruins. And one, on one visit, we were near Mount Olympus, which is uh, in Greece, which is a, the mountain where the goddesses and gods dwell on these multiple uh, peaks. And at the foot of Mount Olympus was a town which was in ruins, but there were the remains of a temple there, a temple to Isis and a temple to, I think it was Gaia as well, or Gay. And in that temple, I just broke down in tears because it was another temple in ruins. So I vowed in that moment, I, I vowed that I was going to, when I got home, I was going to create a living goddess temple. One that was alive, that was not in ruins. And so when I came home, I called people together and, every, you know, and the temple began, basically. That's how that went. Oh, thank you for sharing, Kathy. So amazing to hear your story and just how organically all of it evolved through your personal journey and the different longings and grievings that you had at seeing the lack of goddess in our world. And oh, yes, I mean, what you've created is just so incredible. And Glastonbury, of course, is such a perfect place to have a goddess temple. I first went on pilgrimage to Glastonbury in 2012 and had such a profound experience with the land and the sacred sites. And I've been there numerous times since and I've had such heart opening experiences and revelations and, um, you know, connection with goddess during my time there. And I know that I'm not alone in these experiences and that many, many people have really incredible experiences on those sacred lands. And I would just love to hear your perspective, Kathy, about why you think perhaps so many people have such strong experiences of Glastonbury? You know, what is it about these sacred lands that speaks to people's souls and really calls them home? So the land itself here is the body of goddess and she, she is present in the landscape in these different forms. So you can see her, if you look at the land in certain different ways, the actual physical landscape, you can see her as the maiden in the form of a giant swan because the swan is an epiphany of the maiden goddess you know like bridget she's her epiphany is here uh, you can see her as uh, the lover goddess you can see her lying in the landscape you can see her as the mother goddess the great mother with her pregnant belly and you can see her also as an old crone they're all here in the land so she it's like when we walk on her we are walking actually on her body right we all are all the time but we're not so aware of it 
but we are here. It's, it's very obvious. So she is the Lady of Avalon, Nolava of the Sacred Land. She, that's the name of goddess here. And as in many other places, the goddess is named for the land. She comes from the land, right? When we begin to honor her, then she begins to talk to us. She begins to speak to us. She begins to communicate. What I feel is that some time ago, that the Lady of Avalon, she began to call people. She, she began to call people and her calling is, is like a, a sound. It is a soundless sound. It is a vibration that she has emanated. She is emanating right now out into the world. And she's been doing it for some time, particularly from here. And that vibration has gone out into the world. And those of us who have either been here before, have uh, work to do here, have karmic connection here, feel and experience that vibration, and we respond to it wherever we are on the planet. So when the name Avalon appears and, and you feel that fluttering or that vibration in your heart, the word itself is interesting. You know? It is her call that we are receiving. And it's accelerated at this time. So many people feel that vibration in their own bodies and want to come here. They don't know why. They don't know what's calling them. You just feel, oh, I want to go there. I want to go and have a look. And But you don't know why and you don't know what. And you probably don't know it's the lady calling you. So thousands of people come here. And it's a small place. And they come and they, things happen. It's, it's like as soon as you get here, things start to happen. And her transforming, loving, beautiful energy starts to work in your life and that's basically why why it's happening because she's calling us yes thank you so much for expressing that so beautifully i have definitely felt her vibration and her call when i've been on on the lands of avalon and I would love to deepen into this uh, this topic a little bit more and just uh, hear a little bit more about some of the the history and mythology of and the traditions of goddess uh, in Glastonbury over time. I know there's lots of different myths and what have you and lots of people here who aren't familiar with these stories. So I would love it if you could share a little bit about that. So when I first came here, uh, when I first came to Glastonbury now, you know, in the late late 1970s, the stories uh, here were all male. They were stories of King Arthur, Joseph of Arimathea, the Christian church. It's the site of the first Christian church in Britain. Everything was male. The tour was seen to be masculine because it had a tower on the top, like a phallus, you know. So everything was spoken about in a very Christian way. Some women were mentioned one of whom was Morgan Le Fay, one of the nine Morgans. But at that time it was, yes, Morgan Le Fay, she tried to kill her stepbrother, half-brother. You know, she was a bad woman, an enchantress, a bad woman. The only one who might be a good one was St. Bridget, who is said to have come to Glastonbury in the fourth century um, and lived for a time here. And she was all right because she was a good woman, but she was, you know, she was a nun. 
So she didn't have any sex or anything. So when we began, it was about really looking underneath these patriarchal stories that were really all written down in the Middle Ages and medieval times. And they were written by male monks in monasteries who were interested in promoting the one male God. So one of the ways in which you can explore old stories is to look at the story and then to reverse what it actually says, to find out what might have been the story before. Because in Britain, the last time that in this country we really honoured goddess, uh, where the whole culture honoured goddess was in the Neolithic, which is like 5,000 years ago, 4,000, you know, and our connection to goddess was lost then. It was lost a long time ago. So, you know, when you see all the tragedies of indigenous people right now being cut off from their land connection, this happened in Britain and in Europe 5,000 years ago. All the direct connections and the practices and traditions were all broken here in this land for many hundreds of years. So when we, when we start to look for her again, well, we, we can find her names in landscape, some, some in myths, some in legends, but really we are on a journey of exploration. And we began really by looking at the ways in which goddess expresses herself through the cycle of the seasons of the year. That's the main way that we begin to find out about her. So how she appears as a young maiden around Imbolc, which is around February the 1st. We work quite a lot with an eight festival year with an eight stroke wheel. So there's Imbolc, Spring Equinox, Beltane, and these are traditional festivals where there are still traditional practices, things like at Beltane, having a maypole, jumping a fire with the one you love, that kind of thing. And then Lamas is the celebration of the mother. Uh, because it's the celebration of the harvest, the first fruits of the harvest come at Lammas. And Samhain, that's the season of the crone, because everything in nature is starting to die back into the earth. So we look to nature to show us these different faces of goddess. I've written lots, quite a lot of books which kind of explore why the named goddesses are kind of related to the different seasons of the year. One of the main books I wrote at that was spinning the wheel of Anna, which is now out of print, but it's like, why? Why would we celebrate Rhiannon at Beltane? Why would we celebrate Bridie at Imbolc? Why would we celebrate Kerr at Lamas? And why would we celebrate Keridwen at Sawing? So gradually, as we explored, then different goddesses came to be connected to the different seasons. So the mother of fire, say, we celebrate her at the spring equinox. And in this country and in European cultures, there is a name for goddess, which is found all over Europe, which is connected to the great bear in the sky. They all have a connection to, to this fiery bear energy. And King Arthur is the son of Arthur, who is it? Arthur, she is the great she-bear in the heavens. King Arthur is her son. 
And there are all these kinds of connections that gradually have you know, come together. So we have now, the wheel of the year has kind of evolved through time and through experiences and doing ceremonies. And now we have the wheel of Avalon, which includes and encompasses the goddesses in the whole of Bridget's Isles, British Isles, we like to call it Bridget's Isles, in the whole of Bridget's Isles. They're all connected in also the nine Morgan sisters of Avalon, who are nine sisters, who are the daughters of the Lady of Avalon. Because in European and Nordic tradition, it's quite common to have circles of nine sisters who are connected to a goddess, who serve a goddess. They are kind of semi-divine in their own right, but they also serve a central goddess. So here, the nine Morgans serve the Lady of Avalon. There are many things to explore. This is a journey of exploration. It's not a journey of here it is, it's all there. Because there are no facts. People want, they want, well, who said this before you? You know, academic research has got a lot to answer for. Because it's like within academic research, you can only say things if you can justify them because somebody said them before you. But actually, all of this is original. All of this is actually <laughs> is from experience now rather than because somebody, somebody back there said it. Well, no, we are saying it. We are, we are exploring this together. Yes, I think that's so profound. And I think that part of the perhaps you know, patriarchal way of thinking about this kind of subject matter, like you're saying, is to have evidence and to be able to prove something that there's a paper trail of, of experiences and, and knowledge that's been passed down. But when, as you were just explaining, the, the knowledge of goddess has been gone for so long, especially in England um, and Britain, you know, we have to excavate. And that's why this conversation is all about reclaiming the wisdom of the goddess. And to me, that feminine sort of intuition and feeling and knowing that comes from something a lot more mysterious than, than you know, something you can really track through time. It's a lived experience. This to me is, is so important. Uh, and so I'm so happy that you, you brought that forward and expressed that so beautifully. It's very vital in these times for all of us, all women and men, to really look at everything anew with new eyes. Because is what is said true? Is it true or is it not true? Do you know if it's true? Have you? Do you know it's true by, by the way that you live? Or do you know it's true because someone told you? You know, it's important to know it because you know it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, embodied wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there can be a beautiful marrying of the two ideas to like studying the traditions and what has been said before and then having our own experience as well. And of course, you know, the sacred feminine wisdom that uh, that you're tapping into, Kathy, and you know, you're you're doing that in community and have been doing that for so much of your life, um, you know. But that wisdom has, as you've been saying, has been forgotten and and degraded for millennia. And in my mind, you know, this has occurred obviously in parallel with the oppression of women, but also really all genders being severed from feminine aspects of self. And I feel like this is such an important thing to bring forward because as much as 
it's so important and vital and nourishing for women to be reclaiming these feminine ways. Really, this is uh, this wisdom is needed for all genders and all all of humanity. So, I would love to hear from your perspective, Kathy. You know, why is it important for us as a collective, all genders, to reclaim the sacred feminine in these transformational times? I have a kind of problem about sacred feminine and sacred masculine. So I, this, you know, this can be controversial, but I kind of really, I believe the, the, the divide that is spoken about, the masculine and feminine within is not real. It's not real. I don't have that experience within myself. Within cultures, they say certain aspects are feminine and certain aspects are masculine, but it's all made up. It's not real. Yeah. So it's really, we are all children of a mother. We have all been born from a woman's body. All of us. There isn't an exception anywhere on the planet. We are all born from a woman's body. And somewhere, when we talk about the oppression of women, that fact has been forgotten, it's been lost, it's no longer honoured, it's no longer part of our culture and our knowledge to really understand that women who want to are the gateway to new life. We, as women, we can give birth to new life. Men cannot do that. They cannot give birth. So they do other things, but that's what we do. That's the thing of our physical, uh, emotional, uh, mental, spiritual bodies is we have this capacity to bring forth new life. Yeah? Yes, we need men for a part of it, but actually the bearing, the nurturing, the caring, the holding, the growing of a baby is inside women's bodies. It's really important that that is uh, reclaimed, that we reclaim that. When you talk about the kind of the oppression of women, so our goddess spirituality is, is rooted in feminism. It's in the feminist. The feminism is there in the core, which is the support, nurture, love, care between women, for women, but for everyone, but reclaiming this this loving of women, loving women. There is so much hatred and misogyny of women in the world, and we are reclaiming the love, loving women, and loving who women are. And the thing is that if you just move in that direction, you don't have to reclaim the masculine part of yourself. Men don't have to reclaim the feminine part of themselves. You just have to love who women are, what women are, the whole complexity of what we are. And I think somebody like Jung, uh, yes, it's, it's a kind of helpful analysis, but it's not the truth. So Jung, you know, he, he's the one who propagated this thing of like internal, you know, masculine and feminine. I've got no little man inside of me. I'm all woman. I am all woman. All my qualities are of woman. They're not, there's no sacred masculine in me. Dominic, it's not there. It might be in you, but it's not there in me. 
I claim everything that I am in my womanhood. Mm. That is quite a controversial position, but it shouldn't be, actually. Mm. Yeah, thank you for bringing that forward, Kathy. And yeah, this is such a, a multifaceted subject. Um, and yeah, thank you for speaking your truth. And yeah, I, it's given me some things to think about. And yeah, I think, you know, something that I uh, always say sort of related to what you're sharing is that I find it really unhelpful to prescribe certain attributes to masculine and feminine because we all have our own experience. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something we each have to feel for ourselves. Yeah, it, it kind of goes to the Chinese as well, the yin and yang. It's like, why does everything need to be reduced to two? You know, what is great in this world is the absolute multiplicity, uh, the abundance of the diversity, all the different kinds of people, all the different kinds of plants, animals, trees, her nature. Why reduce it to two? And that duality is something that we're yeah. seeing shift quite quite rapidly um since we're really in this whole movement of looking at gender in a whole different way as well and there being a whole spectrum of gender rather than just two and so yeah i think there's a there's a lot here it's very alive right now so yeah thank you for sharing your truth kathy and i just have one more question for you which actually goes very nicely with what you're speaking about um, around mothers i recently learned that you have this vision of mother worlds and uh, i felt really inspired by this vision and i would love it if you could share just a little bit about what mother world is and its importance that would be really lovely so the vision of mother world is uh, mother world is a society in which mother earth mothers and the values of mothering which are love care and support for each other for all of life are placed in the center of our society rather than being left on the periphery so in the societies as the way they are now what is placed in the center is money greed uh, war poverty those are the things that go in the center of society. And this is not the society that I want to live in. I want to live in a society that places mothers and the values of mothering and caring in the center. I think we've all seen, or many of us have seen, particularly here in Britain, in through COVID and everything, terrible things. But one of the great things has been the importance of the people the doctors, the nurses, the people who care, the care home assistants, all the people who have demonstrated exactly what they do all the time, which is care for people, love and care that they give to, to all of us. Within our society, they are mostly the worst paid people in the society, you know, all of that, which is just truly dreadful. And these are the people that we rely on, we have relied on to help us and to look after us when we, with the potential for being very ill and for dying. And it's these people, the people who love and care that actually make the real difference. The other, the other, uh, the other major aspect, of course, is loving and caring for Mother Earth, Mother Earth as a divine incarnate being and all that needs to be done, particularly obviously now with climate change, to clean the waters, to clean the fires, to clean the air, 
to clean the air. You know, there's so much that needs to be done. And that is about loving and caring for the earth. Also, I'm just completing another book, which will come out in the autumn, I hope, which is about Mother World and is a deeper exploration of what, what it really means to create a completely different kind of society. I love it so much because it's really placing those sacred values in the center of our society that, as you said, are sort of pushed to the side very often. And yeah, you know, obviously like family is, a, is an important value in people's lives, but we also, in our society, the way that the system is set up is, you know, we spend so much time out of the home and making money. And, you know, like you're just sharing, we have to put these other values at the center of our lives. And to really bring in that energy of nurture and care and tending the earth and nurturing the earth is so important. I mean, as you know, in, in Britain, you know, we, we do have a national health service, which means that care is free to everyone at the point of need. Uh, whereas in other countries like the United States, that's not true, but it's like, why not? And all of those kind of questions, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just such an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just seeing a comment come in here from Amy, who's saying, as an early childcare worker, I was never valued and the work is so important. It made me so sad and angry that I left my job. Yeah, thank you, Amy, for sharing your experience. And yeah, here in the US, we do have, um, <laughs> I mean, even just the fact that mothers get such little maternity leave um, and fathers get little paternity leave. It's just really shocking. And, uh, you know, I just don't understand why it's become so extreme, you know. So I love that you're bringing this forward. By the by the patriarchal yes. military complex that wants you to keep working, yeah. keep working through everything and earn them money. Yeah. You know, it's just it's all about money, money and power and you know, values that that none of us believe in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let let's, you know, hope and pray that, you know, we can really begin to change this value system. And I feel like this uh this movement of women coming forward with uh, a new vision for the world as you are and other thought leaders and just everyday people, you know, we're coming together to really bring forward uh, a new sense of what we want the world to look like, right? And I think the rising of the feminine and the reclamation of goddess wisdom is very much related to that and intersectionality of feminism and what have you. So, so, so important. I'm just seeing another comment here from another Amy, a different Amy. Um, we don't value moms one bit in America. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're worthless. Yeah, I've always dreamed to be one. Yeah, I really hear you, Amy, and it's I, I totally understand where you're coming from, and we need a radical shift around this. And yeah. all women should have that choice to be stay-at-home mums if they want to be. Yes. Because what you know, all that happens is you farm your children out to another woman who's paid less, you know, to look after your children, so you can go out to work to feed the machine. It's just that. Yeah, not not what the goddess wants for us i <laughs> that's for sure either mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, okay. We're getting close to the top of the hour here, Kathy. And I'm so grateful for your time and this conversation today. It's been so beautiful. And I would just love to give you this opportunity to tell people where they can find you and your new book and anything else that you'd like people to know about uh, your work and what you offer. I have a website, which is www.kathyjones.co.uk. So you can find me there. You can also find a lot of what I do. Uh, you could so there you can find a link on my Facebook page. You can find a link to the book launch, which is going to be um, the online book launch is tomorrow night for my new book, which is called In the Mysterium of the Lady of Avalon, Exploring Her Secret Hidden Lands. You can find out about the Goddess Temple at www.goddesstemple.co.uk. You can learn about the courses we offer at goddesstempleteachings.co.uk. They're all kind of linked up, so they're quite, but there's a lot there because we do a lot of teaching. We do a lot of priestess trainings. We do a lot of goddess teachings. We have online teachings. And I've done quite a few of those in the, the evergreen courses that you can just take and learn more. So there's all kinds of things. Thank you, Kathy. And like just to take this moment to close our eyes and just come back to that vision of us sitting around the fire together, surrounded by our ancestors and the goddess in her many forms, her many faces, and just feeling the power of this conversation, our togetherness, and really putting that vision, that new vision for the world that we would like to live in, that Kathy was beautifully speaking about, you know, a world where people who care for others, who nurture others are really valued, where the principles of the goddess and uh, the wisdom of the earth and protection of the earth are really in the center of our lives such a beautiful vision and just imagine that you're adding your own thoughts and ideas to this vision about the world that you would like to live in where the wisdom of the goddess is truly revered i'm just going to leave a pause here for you to really connect with that My heart is feeling so open, just imagining us all putting our dreams into the circle for the world that we would like to live in, in which women are honored and values of the feminine. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Blessed be. And thank you, everyone, for who's here live. It's been lovely to see your comments and hear some of your reflections on this conversation. And, um, and if you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, if you're listening to the recording, please feel free to come and join us in the Dreaming the Ancestors Facebook community and come and connect with us here. Thank you all so much. Sending lots and lots of love. Until next time. <laughs>